We'll open God's word again at Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2. And with God's word open before us, we'll bow in prayer and we'll seek his face and his blessing. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do buy in thy presence now, in our Saviour's holy and precious name. We ask now, Lord, that thou would bless the preaching of thy word. Lord, we are just men at best. Father, we have no power. We pray for the power of the Holy Ghost now. Lord, that thy name would be declared, that thy name would be uplifted. Lord, that thy name would be glorified and that uh, the name of man would perish. O Heavenly Father, do bless thy word. We pray that it will be an effectual word, that it will speak to hearts today, that it will challenge us all, and that our souls will be blessed as we gather around thy feet. We do pray in our Saviour's holy and his precious name. Amen. Amen. The portion of Scripture that I read earlier It outlines how another word came from the Lord to Haggai in order to instruct his people once again. Now, seven weeks before this, if you turn over to Haggai chapter 1, the Lord sent Haggai into the midst of the leaders and the people in order to instruct them to repent of their spiritual apathy, signified by the fact that the temple lay in ruin. Haggai chapter 1 and the verse 2 says, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. And then in Haggai chapter 1 and verse 5 it says, Now therefore saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. So what is happening? Well, the temple lay in waste, while their houses were adorned with wood and kept in good order. Their priorities were wrong. They neglected the house of God. They neglected the work of God. And this was displayed because of the state of the temple. And what does the Lord seek to do? He seeks to get them out of their apathy and to get them to the work again. He asks them to consider their ways. And what does that mean? It really means that they ought to think deeply about what they have been doing and what the fruits of their actions have been. And we read in verses 9 to 11 that that is essentially a poor harvest. The Lord chastised them for their apathy with a poor harvest. And then the Lord instructs them in verse 8 of chapter 1. He says, Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. They were to put their hands to the plow and get their priorities right and start building the temple once again. And this rebuke from the Lord, it really had an impact on the people. Haggai chapter 1 and the verse 12 tells us that they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and that they did fear before the Lord. They were in awe of God once again. And verse 14 tells us that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, um, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Joshua, and the Lord stirred up the remnant of the people. And what did they do? They came to the house of God, and they engaged themselves in the work of the Lord. They were stirred. They were roused within their hearts. I would even suggest that revival had come to this people. The Word of God had awakened them from their sleep. They were just going through the motions of life. 
And what was happening now? They were engaged in the work of God again. And then we come to Haggai chapter 2, and we read that the Lord came and spoke to them again. What, did it, what does it say in verse 1? In the seventh month, and the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai. Now, this word comes four weeks after they commence building uh, the work of God, or uh, after they commence work on the temple. And why does it come? It comes because the people of God are discouraged. They are discouraged in the work of God. And what does the Lord do? He comes and He offers them encouragement. And isn't this the case quite often in the work of God as we seek to labor for the Lord? We often meet discouragement. It can be because of ourselves. It can be because of outside factors. But we often get discouraged nonetheless. And this morning, I want you to consider with me the message that the Lord gives these people who are discouraged in God's work. And with these thoughts in mind and the portion of Scripture that I have read to you in mind, I want you to consider this topic with me this morning of God's encouragement to His laborers. God's encouragement to His laborers. See, firstly, with me that it involved an exhortation. Look at Haggai chapter 2 and the verse 3. It says there, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? What is happening? Well, what is happening here is the people are looking back to the glory days. They are looking back to the days when the nation was under the leadership of Joshua. They are recalling the days of conquest and the days of uh, the dedication of the first temple in the, day, uh, in the time of Solomon. And they were indeed the glory days for the children of Israel because the temple would have been adorned with gold. It would have been a glorious structure. It would have been a glorious site. And further than that, it was built within a nation which was a powerhouse in the region at the time. And now they are looking at their own circumstances and to the massive changes that have taken place. And the reality is that their present situation was dull in comparison to the glory days. Perhaps even depressing. These weren't the glory days. The glory days were a distant memory. The house that they were building wouldn't be adorned with gold. And it wouldn't really be a glorious sight to behold. It would be adorned mainly with wood. With wood from uh, the cedar tree. It was going to be a structure which would not be the centerpiece of a powerful nation, but rather at this time the nation was merely just a little tiny corner of the Persian Empire. And in, in, uh, in the Persian Empire, the temple was nothing but a token uh, attempt to buy favor from the people by the Persian Emperor. These weren't the days of Joshua, and these weren't the days of Solomon. And the Lord, as we see in verse 2, he didn't actually disagree with them. He didn't tell them that what was on their mind was wrong. He didn't say to them, well, actually, you're wrong. These are those days. The Lord actually came and he acknowledged the fact these are not the days of Joshua and these are not the days of Solomon. The temple wouldn't be as glorious as it was in Solomon's day. This is not the nation that it was in Joshua's day. And this can be the reality for us as God's people sometimes. We can often look back to better times when churches were packed to the rafters, when you could hardly get people in, 
We often look back to times when the church had a more prominent role in society and a greater influence in society. There were days that when uh, the church of Jesus Christ spoke, the people listened. And it seems now that nobody listens. There were times of God's presence, times of God working in people's lives by salvation. And God's working was more prominent. And we can often yearn for times like that again. Like the children of Israel, we can lament that they are no longer here. And as we labor in God's work, and as we labor in God's house, and seek to build the house again, we can often be discouraged. We can often think that the days of God's moving are gone, that they're no longer here, and we can be in lament that those days are no longer here. We often have a lot in common with the children of Israel in Haggai chapter 2. And the reality is, brethren and sisters, these are the days that we are living in. Times change. These are the days in which God has called us to serve Him. And the people in our text, they had to face up to that reality. God didn't disagree with the, uh, with the reality of their present condition. What did God do? He moved to edify them and to encourage them. He was really saying to them, look, these are not the days of Joshua, not the days of Solomon, but I want you to serve me nonetheless. Look at Haggai chapter 2 and verse 4. It says there, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Yosedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. The Lord tells them, in the midst of their discouragement, He says, Be strong. Those days are no longer here. This is a day of smaller things, but be strong. Being strong relates to a state of the mind, and it denotes carrying out duties with passion and with diligence. So God gives a command to this people. He says, be diligent, be passionate, don't lose your love for my work, even in the day of small things. Be strong, rebuild my temple, build my house. And he tells them to be strong in the work. Now commentators have suggested that in the Hebrew language, this word work is in plural. So what's the Lord saying? He's saying to them, not only be strong, but he's saying to Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the people, be strong and work together and build my house. And dear brethren and sisters, this is all that we can do if we are discouraged in the work of God. Yes, we can look back to days of God's moving, we can read books about revival with fondness, but we ought not to float around in a pool of lament and do nothing. We ought to get on with the work of God, no matter what discouragements we face. What does the Lord say to us today as we labor for Him in His work? He says, be strong, work. Do my work with diligence. Do it with passion. Work with one another. Whether we labor in days of revival or in days of dryness, we must labor nonetheless. Because God still wants His name to be preached. God still wants His house to be frequented by His people for worship. God still wants His people working for Him. What does He say in 1 Corinthians 15 and the verse 58? 
Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Friends, what do we do? What do we do in the day of small things? What do we do when we face discouragement in the work of God? We just keep laboring for God. It's as simple as that. We just keep preaching Christ to as many as we can preach him to. And we just leave the rest down to God. If God desires to send us a revival or move, then he will do it. But our job is just to keep laboring. Be strong. And we may labor in a little corner of God's vineyard like the people in Haggai's day did. People might look at our church and say, oh, that's an insignificant little church. That's an insignificant little work that you're doing. Let me tell you, friends, it doesn't matter. We need to be strong and work nonetheless. It's a work for him. And if it brings honor and glory to his name, then it is a worthwhile work we are doing. Be strong and work And God's encouragement to his labors didn't just involve exhortation. I want you to see, secondly, that it involved a promise. Now, the Lord didn't just give these people an exhortation, but he gave them a promise to accompany this exhortation. He said, be strong and work. And the reason he gave them this promise again was to discourage them. Now, commentators have suggested that the progress in terms of building the temple had been slow. And this was for two main reasons. The first reason is that the preparation work would have taken longer than expected. They would have had to spend a lot of time clearing rubble. And this would have been a lengthy process without machinery. And the second reason is that they were in the seventh month. And that meant that festivals would have hindered the work. They would have had to take rest during festivals and during Sabbath days. The first day of the month would have been the Feast of the Trumpets. Uh, The tenth day of the month would have been the Day of Atonement. And then the fifteenth day of the month would have been the Feast of Tabernacles. They saw little progress in four weeks and they were discouraged. And this is often the case in the work of God. We can do much. uh, We can sow much seed. Yet we think that there is little progress being made. Even in our own Christian lives. We seek to go on with God. We seek to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. We seek to grow in grace, uh, but our growth is hindered by sin. Sometimes we feel as if we take uh, one step forward, and then we fall into that sin again, and we take two steps back. Sometimes we find ourselves always getting rid of spiritual rubble, which can take so much time, and really hinder us going on with the Lord. This is how God's people in our passage felt. But God moves here to reassure them and to encourage them. Even in the slow progress of the work, he actually goes on to remind them that they had a lot more in common with the people of the past than they realized. And this promise of God to them involved two things. It involved a reminder of God's covenant with them. Because the Lord firstly reminds them in verse 4, he says, I am with you. What's he saying to them? He says, look, you are discouraged. You aren't making as much progress uh, as you want. You're clearing a lot of rubble. The uh, The progress hasn't been great, but I am with you. 
I was with my people in the glory days when the temple was a sight to behold and the nation was a powerhouse, but I am with you in this day also. Friends, God is with us in our labors. He is with us. We can't do it on our own. We are weak and sinful, but thank the Lord today that he says, I am with you as you engage in my work, as you witness for Christ, as you attend the house of God, Lord's day by Lord's day, and seek to be faithful, I am with you. And this is no new promise. This is a promise that God has given his people from the very beginning. Because the Lord not only said, the Lord not only says in verse 4 that he was with them, he goes on to say in verse 5, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you come out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. And friends, here we have the basis for the Lord's presence with them. It lies upon the word that he covenanted with them. The roots of God's promise to be with them, it lies deep in the history of this nation. Because God's God's presence in the midst of his covenant people was the heart of the relationship that he established with them at Mount Sinai in the time of Moses. He said to them during the times of Moses, I am with you, and he is still with them in the days of Haggai. The Lord said that he would be their God and that they would be his people. What does he say in Exodus 19 and verse 6? And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak to the children of Israel. And when we think of God's promises and God's covenant, uh, brethren and sisters, in these days, we are led immediately to think of Jesus Christ. Because it is by virtue of our union with Jesus Christ that we are assured of God's presence with us. And why is that? It's because Christ has been to the cross and he has purchased a full salvation for us. And this doesn't just encompass our justification, it encompasses our sanctification and our glorification, the day when we will be made like Christ. And therefore, it is impossible for God to forsake his people because Christ has purchased a full salvation. And it started the day they were saved, the day we were saved. And that salvation goes right on until the day we are glorified and we enjoy the fullness of our salvation. Friends, can that that person who Christ died for be lost? Of course not. Because if they could be lost, then it would be a cheap atonement. But we don't believe in a cheap atonement. We believe in a full atonement. We believe that when he said it is finished, he meant it. And that he died for a people and secured them for all eternity. And friends, God has bound himself by, provident, uh, by covenant promise to be our God and to complete that work which he has begun. He has bound himself by covenant to make us his people. And namely, that involves conforming us to the image of his son and bringing us to glory forever. This is how secure we are in Christ today. God has bound himself, not unwillingly, 
but willingly by covenant to be our God. What does John 10 and the verses 28 to 30 say? And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. They could be encouraged by the covenant promise of God, but they could also be encouraged by the nature of who their covenant God was. Because you see how many times the Lord has referenced himself in Haggai chapter 2 in the verses 1 to 9 as the Lord of hosts. And in brief, this is a reference to the might of God. He is the God of armies. He is the Lord Almighty who has all power in heaven and all power on earth at his disposal. He is a God who could turn an entire nation towards him by just speaking the word. This is the God that they serve and this is the God that we serve. This is what he is capable of. He is the Lord of hosts. So he's not just with us in the work He is not just our covenant God who will never forsake us, but friends, brethren and sisters, He is the all-powerful God and nothing is impossible with Him. And this is why we ought to labor with confidence, not only because of who God is and who He is to us as His people, but what He is capable of. And not only did God's encouragement to His labors involve a promise, but I want you to see finally with me that it involved a consolation. We move now to consider verses 6 to 9. The Lord says in verse 6, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Now, in verse 6, it says the heavens and the earth. And the idea here is that this shaking in verse 6 will impact the whole universe. And the word for shake that we find in this verse has been translated elsewhere in Scripture as tremble. For example, in Psalm 60 in the verse 2, the Word of God says, Thou hast made the earth to tremble. Thou hast broken it. Heal the breaches thereof, for it shaketh. The idea is that there is a day coming when the entire universe will tremble, when the entire universe will shake. There is an event coming which will impact the whole realm, not just of creation here on earth, but the entire universe. And the way that the word shake is written in the original language, it really is a terminology which belongs in the arena of God waging holy war against his enemies. And I would suggest that it is a particular reference to the day of the Lord, an impact, uh, an event which will impact the whole universe. This promise that God made to his people, it looks forward to a day when God would appear and he would transform this present world into a heavenly state. Now in verse 7, we read of the desire of nations who would come. And I would suggest that this is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in Christ, God has already shaken the entire created order because Christ has brought salvation to the nations. But we look forward, dear friends, uh, to a day, uh, to a world shaking that is yet to come, when God will bring all of history to its consummation in Christ. With Christ's first coming, God established his kingdom. He manifested his glory, 
and he gave his people peace. But a day is coming when God's kingdom will be fully and finally established, when his glory will fill the whole world, and when his peace will reign in this earth forevermore. In simple terms, Christ is coming again. And in the midst of our discouragement, in the midst of our despair, in our midst, in the midst of our efforts to clear the spiritual rubble and labor for the Lord, what does God do? He draws our attention to Christ's return. And this hope that we have for Christ coming again, it is such an antidote to our discouragement and our despair. Because the rubble that surrounds us in our personal lives, the rubble that can surround us in our church, which often seems so overwhelming, this is not the end of the story. There is more yet to come. And I suppose you could say, so to speak, that for the people of God, there will always be a happy ending. And what does that entail? It entails Christ coming and transforming his people into his likeness. And what a wonderful prospect that is for us to look forward to. And what does Haggai say all that day? Now remember this in the context of the temple. He says in verse 9, The glory of this latter house shall be greater than that of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. You see, they were building a physical temple. And they longed for this temple to be as glorious as the temple of Solomon was. But the fulfillment of this prophecy, in my eyes, is not to be found in any house made with hands, but the true temple which Jesus Christ himself has built. Now Christ in his own humanity was all that the temple shadowed and foretold. Because it was the the temple that signified God's presence among his people. It was in the temple that the people went to meet with God. Yet now it is in Christ that God has presenced himself with his people. It is in Christ that we approach God. Because what does Scripture say? It says in 1 Timothy 2 and 5 that he is the only mediator. It is in him that this new spiritual temple has been reared. His church And that Haggai's prophecy will find its realization. It is in the new Jerusalem when all of his saints will be gathered and clothed in his perfect righteousness, enjoying the fullness of their salvation. This is when the glory of the latter temple will be realized. It will be a glorious temple. And Christian, labors of God, we are guaranteed a glorious future. As we labor for God in this world, let us remember that glorious future. We don't live as those without hope because we are in Christ. He will come again. He will complete that work which he has begun on us. He will reward us for our labors. And I wonder, are you ready for that day? It will be a glorious day for the saint of God. But if you are not saved and Christ returns, it will be a horrific day for you. Because you will be judged for your sin. Nothing will be hidden from God on that day. And he will cast you into the lake of fire for all eternity because you have sinned against him. Friends, we all need to be ready for that day. And how do we get ready? We get ready by coming to Christ and putting our faith in him. Because what did I say earlier? He went to the cross 
and he, and he purchased a full salvation. Make sure you're ready for that day. But in the meantime, what is he doing? He is building his church. He is gathering in his chosen ones. Friends, even today you think about it, not just in the context of Northern Ireland, but think about it in the context of the whole world. Souls will be saved today. The church will be bigger today than it was yesterday. It will be bigger tomorrow than it was today. Why? Because he is building his church. And it doesn't matter what, what men do, what presidents do, what prime ministers do. The church will be built. It doesn't matter what Satan will do. He says he will build it. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Oh, he is building this glorious structure. And what has he done? Well, he ordained the people in Haggai's day to build the physical temple. And friends, he has given us the privilege of laboring to build this spiritual house. And how do we do that? Very simply, we witness for Christ. And therefore, remember, this is a glorious future that we have. And that's why we can toil on in the work of God, no matter what we face, because our labor is not in vain. He's building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I finish off by reading some verses from Revelation 21 in the verses 2 to 4. And I want to read these in relation to what we've said about our future. It says there, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former, former things are passed away. Friends, as we labor for God, let us give it our all, because there is a day coming when the former things will be passed away when we will receive our eternal rest from our labors and we will receive the glory in heaven and we will glorify Christ. Believer, I trust that we will heed the Lord's encouragement to his people in Haggai's day and even apply these encouraging sentiments to ourselves and may God give us the grace to labor on for him in the work. God bless his word to all of our hearts for his glory. Amen.